Hi, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Scale with Predictable Success. And today I'm absolutely delighted to be with Russ Fletcher. Russ is the CEO of Zingular. We'll hear quite a bit about Zingular in just a moment or two. He's also a member of our Predictable Success Mastermind group. And uh, in that context, he's become not just been a client, he's become a great friend and a wonderful colleague and counselor. Russ, it's just so good to have you on the podcast. Well, I'm honored, Les. Uh, you know you know that I've been a fan of the predictable success model for a long time. So it's great to be part of the both interaction with you personally and, and with the mastermind group. I really enjoy it. So let's uh, kick off. Just tell the listeners a bit about you, your, your personal background. Uh, what was your journey to Zingular? And then tell us a bit about Zingular. What is it? What does it do? And what's your role there? Okay, well, I, I've been with Zingular as a member of the board since 2011, and I came on board as the CEO in 2014, so coming up on my six-year anniversary. Um, before that, I was a, an IT person for most of my career, large system implementations, uh, agile methodology consultant, a CIO or head of IT departments in various capacities over the years, uh, but I never really considered myself a pure IT guy. I always considered myself a business guy with technology background. Uh, similarly to how a CFO might perceive himself as a businessman with a finance background or right. you know, a business person with a sales background. So I always considered myself a business person with, a, with an IT background. And uh, I was doing consulting in Washington, DC. It's, it's a place that I love. I lived in the greater DC area and uh, I thought that was gonna be my home for the rest of my life. And in 2013, Zingular took a significant uh, sales downturn. Uh, and in early 2014, the board began contemplating the need for a CEO. And I actually lobbied that it be me. Oh, you did? Uh, yeah, I, I said to the board, I, I, I'm seeing things that I think are valuable. Uh, I know the management team. I know, I know the product line. I, I think I can work with them to help turn this, turn this back around. And, then, and so they... Albeit with some skepticism, you know, put the IT guy in charge. <laughs> yeah. um, they, uh, they, they gave me the, ro the role in July of 2014. And, and it's been a wonderful, wonderful ride. Uh, you know, the, that first month, the first month that I was there, July 14, we, we did just shy of $2 million in total, total sales. And last week we had a $3 million day. So the <laughs> growth from... Uh, the growth from there to here has been phenomenal. It's been a fun, wild, crazy, exhilarating, not without its hiccups and potholes, but a, but a fun ride. And I've no doubt we'll hear about a few of those. Um, tell us a little bit about what Zingular does, Russ. So Zingular is in the direct-to-consumer sales model. Um, we have a, an army of independent distributors that, that sell our products through their own personal networks. Uh, our product line is primarily nutritional supplements with a, a, an eye toward weight loss um, with, with the, the idea that weight, uh, healthy weight is the door to a healthy self. Once you get yourself healthy, then we have other products that help keep you healthy. Um, the company has been in existence since 2009. Um, and, you know, we're almost exclusively in North America. I say that because we have a very small office in the Philippines. Uh, we, uh, up until the COVID crisis, which I know we'll get to, uh, we were doing about $150,000 a month in the Philippines, um, and all the rest of the sales were U.S. and Canada. So we're primarily U.S.-based. Uh, international is on our horizon sometime in the future. 
Um, all those future things seem to be uh, have been placed on hold because of who knows what the future is going to hold. Uh, my uh, my crystal ball isn't just cloudy, but it's got mud all over it. So um, who knows when that will be? But um, the growth that we've had in the United States over the last six years has been, uh, been spectacular, as far as I'm concerned. Very very right. pleased um, to go from two million a month to uh, uh, in May, which was our best month ever. And we did 25 million. So you wow. know, that's that, wow. that's a that's a great growth curve. At the same time, we we consider ourselves that we've uh, sure we've grown in a very um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, growth is never stable, but as as close to stable as you can get. Right. You know, our, our profitability has remained strong. So it, it's been a it's been a fun ride, but not without some interesting and and in some cases. Uh, um, very personally challenging decisions and processes, but, uh, but all, all on the whole, love it, have loved the ride so far. Yeah, that's one of the things that always comes across in working with you is that, you know, you, you're as subject to difficult times as anybody, but you, you do love what you do. And um, I want to, because of the world that we're in at the minute, I want to spend most of our time uh, having our listeners get the benefit of the experience you've had going through COVID uh, particularly, but I just given that I hadn't known one part of what you just told me uh, uh, before, if I had forgotten it, I'd like to just touch back on it. The, the, this business of you being on the board and then promoting yourself for the CEO role, uh, one of the things that uh, when you get to do the, the privilege of doing what I do, which is you know coaching with other executives, one of the things that comes up a lot is the imposter syndrome, right? You know, am I really meant to be here? How did this happen? Yeah. Um, are you exempt that? I mean, that was a very forward thing to do. Did you have any dark night of the soul moments when you thought, what the heck am I doing here? Or did you just know this was the right time for you? Um, well, if you don't have any dark night of the soul moments, you're not human. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, you, you, you look yourself in the mirror and, and you say, am I supposed to be the CEO of a $150 million company? I mean, I am, but am I supposed to be? Right. Um, and, and if you don't have that sense of, of reflection, uh, there's probably something not connected where it should be in, in your psyche, I think. Um, in, in, the, in case of promoting myself to the board, um, I be, have believed for most of my career that if you learn how to manage people um, in, in whatever, whatever environment that you're in, that you can scale that. Right. Um, if you learn how to manage a team, you can manage a division. If you learn how to manage a division, you can manage a department. If you learn how to, et cetera, et cetera. And I had managed departments and I had managed divisions. And, and so uh, it, it wasn't necessarily confidence in the sense of arrogance, but it was a right. certain surety that, hey, this is a small enough company. The things that I have been using as a consultant and as an advisor and as a, as a line manager in other places, I believe can scale across the whole organization because it's small enough, I can try it and grow with it. Uh, and I was able to make that case successfully to the board and, and, and it, it worked. So we're happy. Right. right. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, I want to just go back, go back a bit. I think it was Lenin said, sometimes nothing happens for decades and sometimes a decade happens in a week. So I want to go <laughs> back a few decades. Um, when did you 
personally, not, you know, not the news, not the external events, when did you personally think, okay, this is a thing and it's a big thing? Talking about COVID, of course. Um, so we knew it was a thing pretty early, I think, all things considered. Um, we were already moving to uh, stockpile any of our products for ingredients that we get from Asia um, in February. In February? Um, yes, because we, we were kind of reading the tea leaves a little bit and saying, look, we don't know what this is going to be, but it's in China. And if right. it's in China, you know, we don't get any of our ingredients from, from the Wuhan area, um, but we do get some of our raw ingredients from China. And so we thought we should just hedge our bets and, you know, place a six or eight month order just on raw ingredients, just in case you never know. Um, and, and so we just decided in addition to placing raw, a raw ingredient order for China, we just go ahead and place extra raw ingredient orders for all of our, our raws around the world. Right. So we, we made that decision in February. And as the reports in February began to build, um, I, uh, Literally the first week of March, uh, I want to say, let's see, what would have been that the first Wednesday in March, the 4th or 5th, something like that. Uh, I announced to my, my internal management team, so my direct reports and their direct reports, so two levels of management. Mm -hmm. uh, I called them all into a meeting and I said, uh, I'm moving us from regular management to crisis management. I believe that this is crisis and we are going to meet every morning at nine and every afternoon at five, just to deal with all the swirling news that we're starting to get. And we immediately shifted to, in that, even before it all broke down, right? We, we, we were not closing the office. We're not doing you know, anything dramatic. We're just taking steps. And so for the first week of that, of that crisis management, it seemed like overkill to my management team. Um, there was a little bit of grumbling, right, about right. Uh, do we really need to meet twice a day? I mean, is this a little bit of overkill? Right. Uh, and I remember having our 5 o'clock meeting uh, on the evening of um, Thursday, March 12th. And right, I, right. That was the day, right? It uh, was. Thursday, March 12th. And at 5 o'clock, we were discussing whether we were going to close the office. We were hearing of office closures around the country, and we were – and we had decided we were not going to close the office on that Thursday evening. I went home. Right. I live in, just outside of Salt Lake City, Utah. I turned on the Utah Jazz basketball game. And if you remember, at the beginning of that game, a Utah Jazz player, Rudy Gobert, was warming up. And the, the team doctor came literally running onto the court, stopped the warm-ups and said, he's tested positive for COVID. And they canceled the game. And within a matter of hours, news was out that the NBA had canceled their season, that the NCAA was canceling their season. Right. We actually had a crisis team meeting by phone that night, Thursday night, the, the, the 12th. And so by the time we got into our meeting on, on, on Friday, Friday the 13th, right? We forget right. that. All this went down on Friday the 13th. Um, is when we made the decision to close the office. So when did we know it was going to be a thing? Somewhere in there, right? In that, right, right, from right. the sort of fourth or fifth when we started our crisis management team until it all went south on the, on the 13th, we were already beginning to operate in crisis mode. And as best I can see a, a commonality 
for most leaders, particularly uh, what, as you know, we call MSEs, most senior executives, so in your case, CEO, uh, the immediate effect during all of March and some of early April was to pull leadership down to runway level. It all became, you know, daily punch lists, weekly punch lists, if you were lucky, but certainly not even monthly or quarterly punch lists. Was that what happened with you? Was it all hands on deck and dealing with, you know, immediate decisions or was it all floating stately on because of the preparations that you'd done in February, somewhere in between? What was March well, and early April like? I would sure love to say it just, you know, we, we <laughs> put all this in place and it just moved, flowed through exactly. The, no, no, it was, it was all hands on deck. <laughs> so in a normal environment, in our normal way operating mode, we do what we call trimester planning. We take two days every four months, right. take literally every um, salaried employee in the company. Now that's about 110 employees. We go offsite for two whole days and we have a, a no holds barred, open forum, crazy, chaotic, wonderful planning session for two days. And we watch it. We walk out of that with a four month, um, attack list. Right. We've been doing that for a number of years now. It's been very effective. It gives a high degree of transparency. Everybody gets to see what everybody else is doing. The respect goes up. It's been great. We were scheduled to do that uh, in April, right? Four months, right? So right. end of the four month cycle. And uh, I took that crisis team and I said, a four month plan does not seem to make any sense to me. Um, who knows where we're going to be in four months. Right. Let's talk a four-week plan. Uh, and so that week, the week of, of the, the, the next week in, in the office, so the week of the 16th of March, we were still open. We closed the office formally on that next Friday, the 20th. Um, but we, we got together in the office, just the senior leadership team, and we said, all right, it's, it's to your point, right? Punch list, daily tasks. Here's what we're doing this week. Here's how we're handling this. We actually, we actually put together um, three financial scenarios. We just call them A, B, and C, right? A is, right. Uh, you know, what are the, assuming sales hold steady, or at least decline only a little bit, what are the non-essential things we can live without? B was, right. what if sales turned down 20%? What do we have to start cutting? And C was, what if sales turned down 50%? Right. Um, we had enough cash reserves that I announced to the company that no matter what happened to sales, we were going to protect everyone's job through the month of June. Because I just wanted to take their blood pressure down. You know, we, we were starting to hear about people getting furloughed. Right. And I said, that's, we're not gonna do that. So that was part of that punch list of items on that. Uh, it's actually Thursday the 19th that we held this meeting. And it was very, very, very tactical. Right. All right, you know, you drive the lookout car. We'll be right back with Russ Fletcher. In just a moment, you'll hear more from Russ, including how April was the best month in his company's history, why that wasn't all necessarily good news, and the key challenges he has faced as CEO of a multi-hundred million dollar company in the face of this pandemic. Now, if like Russ and me, you're an MSE, that's the most senior executive, whether you're the founder or CEO or managing director or lead pastor or madam secretary, whatever the title of the most senior person in your organization, if that's you, then you know one thing for sure. It can be really, really lonely up here. 
Sure, being the most senior executive is a great privilege, and it brings with it great responsibility, but it brings great challenges too. And sometimes we just don't have the right forum to go to and share those challenges, at least not in a way in which we feel comfortable and supported, challenged, and held accountable. Now, I'm sure you've got a great team in your organization, a fantastic senior leadership team who supports you. But there are times when you're just not ready to share with your senior team just yet. And there are other times when you want to talk with people who've got a different perspective from outside of your organization. Sometimes you just don't want to distract your senior leadership team because of some of the other things that you've got going on. And you've almost certainly built a great support group of friends and family. But let's be honest, I know this and I know you do too. There are many times when you're grappling with a particular challenge, a growth challenge, either around your own leadership or the growth of your organization, and you just don't want to burden your friends or your family. And many times, even when you do, they often can't really help you. And that means they're left feeling frustrated and you're left feeling unfulfilled. Now, it's precisely because of that challenge, the challenge of it being lonely at the top, and yet we face big challenges of our own to meet as leaders, that I started the Predictable Success Mastermind Group. Russ Fletcher, our guest interviewee today, is a member of the Predictable Success Mastermind Group, along with a group of like-minded growth leaders just like you from all types of organization, for-profit and not-for-profit. Perhaps the Predictable Success Mastermind Group might be exactly the place for you to go to for the support, accountability, and encouragement you need in these incredibly difficult times. So why not go, take a look, make your own mind up, head over to predictablesuccess.com forward slash mastermind and check it out. And now back to our guest today, Russ Fletcher. The thing that I've noticed, uh, Russ, I'd love to hear your view on this, is that you know, as leaders, we're, our natural environment is 30,000 feet, right? We want to be up there with the overview, planning, directing the, you know, take whatever metaphor you like, the orchestra, the army, the team. And we're good at that. That's why we get into leadership. And then we hit emergencies like this. Uh, well, we've never hit anything like this, but we had an emergency and we get down to runway level and we're actually quite good at that. So that period of triage, most of the folks I was working with were okay with it. I don't mean like anybody was okay with it. We were not, or any of us okay with it, but we could do this. We can do this. Yeah. What I noticed beginning to happen is um, that as we got to what I, I'm calling 5,000 feet, we started to get a little bit of, uh, you know, traction and height and vision in late April and through May. We begin to start to think, and certainly by the time we get to June, I've got to, think forward a bit more than this, but I still can't do a strategic plan. There's no, not a chance in hell I'm going to know what next year is like. And it's that 5,000 feet level that's awkward. So I'd love to hear, you know, how did you see your challenges as CEO of Zingular shift in May and then into June as you began to shift away from that day-to-day -day punch list stuff? Well, so the first thing that happened to us was uh, a complete opposite of what we feared. Rather than seeing a, a you know twenty percent or fifty percent decline in sales, we saw a spike. Right. Uh, um, our our sales in in um, in March were solid but not spectacular. Um, but in April we had our best month in company history, 
And in May, we exceeded the April amount by 60%. Um, and so, you know. And, and I, I'm assuming, forgive me if this is an idiot assumption, but I'm assuming it's because there's so many people in lockdown who wanted to add another a, a side gig, you know, wanted to, to do something new. Or was it your existing people having more people that trapped with nothing else to do to sell to? What, what was the underlying it's Sort of model? all of the above, right? All I mean, above, you know, right. We, we track what we call uh, um, um, active participants. Right. And the active participants, the new active participants and the repeating active participants both ex exploded in, in April right. and then again in May. So, so the, the so issue Suddenly is, you've uh, got explosive growth in the middle of all of this. Right. Yeah, who, who knew that boxes were going to be a thing? Right. Because all our boxes are manufactured here locally. There's a place, here, a place up here in Utah called Utah Paper Box. Uh, they've been, you know, supplier of ours for years. And, and who knew that all the people who normally get their boxes from China now uh, couldn't get course. their boxes from China, so they were all right. going to place an order with you. With, And even though we have a long time relationship, you know, everybody's coming out of the woodwork needing boxes. Who, I mean, that's, who anticipates that? That was one of those. <laughs> I certainly um, don't recall so, you putting that in scenario yeah. A, B, or C. No. Uh, yes, and here's where we're gonna run out of boxes. Yes. <laughs> um, the, the, so there are, in the, in, the, in the whole crisis scenario with COVID, um, I've come down to, Things we couldn't control, things we can still control, and things that we made decisions that were incorrect because would that happen, right? And the, the things, the decision we made that were incorrect, we can move to correct. Um, but the things we can't control are still things we can't control. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I still have uh, oh, 44,000 unfulfilled orders. Wow. Um, that were just that some of which are now 30 days old. And so we're, we're trying to, to move through those as our supply chain catches up. But, right. but back to your question, you know, when do you switch from what am I doing today? What's the punch list for today? How am I handling today? Um, to at least getting some relief, some, a little bit of perspective. For us, that really happened. It didn't happen in April. April was very, very tactical. Right. Still with that four-week plan, let's you know, let's let's just grind through this four-week plan. We got to the end of April, uh, and in May, as as we began to say, this is we're not coming back to the office anytime soon. Um, how do we handle this a little bit longer term? We were able to get a little bit of of perspective, and the interesting thing in that for me was um, one of the hardest realizations, maybe in my whole career was that a trusted advisor, uh, a, a deep uh, um, comrade in arms, if you will, a, 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 a bosom friend, I don't know what, how to, what, what uh, uh, metaphor to use to describe how close we have become in my uh, chief operating officer, uh, it was time for him to go. Right. Uh, and, uh, and it was becoming each day that went, went on um, clearer and clearer to me, uh, and it was probably something that I'd known for some time. Mm -hmm. This put it into sharp contrast. Right. Uh, and so in the midst of all of this, um, we, we swapped out one of our senior leaders of the company 
right. swapped out. We didn't hire somebody new. We simply absorbed his responsibilities with existing staff. But but very very hard decision on a personal level because we're so close. Right, and not something that you imagine doing at a time like this, but amazingly more common than you would think because I think you know I'm abstracting this from your specific situation obviously and just talking in general I've seen in so many cases that just the call on leadership capability that has been made in the last couple of months it just you know statistically it's bound to be the case that there are just some folks that can't get there you know they, they, they were doing they were the right people on the bus until we went into this tunnel and I were coming I say we're coming out of the tunnel. I'm going to take that back. Now we're in the tunnel. Um, they, you know, just just not the same. You, you require a different set of skills. Where have you found your own skills been most under pressure? Your leadership skills over this period, Russ. Where, where have you really struggled personally? Um, like everyone, uh, I'm not getting enough sleep. Right. Uh, you know, I'm 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 struggling to take care of myself. Um, because you literally can be in this sort of Zoom-based environment. If you let yourself, you can be here for 10, 12, 14 hours a day, right? I mean, you, right. you know, it's nonstop. It takes a toll on you physically. Um, as you know, Les, I already suffer with Parkinson's disease, and so um, the challenge for me physically is, is a, it's not doubly challenging, but it's an, an additional level of burden. It's certainly doubly important. And, uh, well, and, and, you know, for example, my, my executive assistant, you know, is constantly after me. Did you get up and walk? Did you go around the block? Did you, you know, Good for her. because, because uh, it's just, it's, it can become so all consuming because there's never a shortage of things to solve. Right. Right. And uh, we, we made the decision to reopen our office in June um, for those who wanted to come in, we weren't requiring employees to come back to the office, but if you needed to get a break or you wanted a change of scenery or you just wanted to see your, your coworkers all with appropriate social distancing, but you know, you wanted to come in, well, a whole bunch of people wanted to come in. They missed each other. Right. And, and so I went into the office and, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm walking around the office and seeing people and, and, and getting energized just by having that, that core group of great people. Mm -hmm. at least somewhat in proximity to one another right um and and that personal you need that so that's the first thing um the second thing is it's so addicting the tactical yes um yes. you know you put out a fire and it worked hooray you right. put out a fire and it right. failed boo right. oh put out another fire i mean that that sort of adrenaline rush yeah. is so um is so addicting thank you um that you have to step away from that mm. and you have to be able to get, continue you've hired good people you put them in in areas of responsibility you don't need to make the decisions for them um and yet um it's so addicting and you can because people are craving right. that leadership Right. Uh, and one thing you have to recognize is you still have good people and you still have to give them right. the runway to do good work. Even if you make mistakes, it's going to. Yeah, that, that, 
that gravitational pull back down to the tactical over and over again. Uh, again, that's that's a constant that I'm seeing is just reminding people that was okay for them, but you you got used to an endorphin rush that you've got to let go of, otherwise you're yeah. going to start becoming a bottleneck. And uh, we had uh, Jason Mitchell on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And as you know, Jason's a, a, a colleague of ours on our mastermind group, and uh, one of the things we were talking about was the fact that it's very goes alongside that that this mode that you and I are on, we're at Zoom at the moment, and you and I can see each other. Um, whatever the tool is that you use is really good for management. It's really good for vertical siloed tactical stuff. It's really tough to do the strategic creative um, senior leadership stuff. And I know that you you struggled with that. And um, uh, I, I, I can't remember the precise word that you used, but it was something along the lines of <clears throat> missing the serendipity of just, you know, what we would have called water cooler stuff. Um, and I know that you actually socially had physical socially distanced meetings in order to try to overcome that. I'd just love to hear any other thoughts you have on, so, you know, is that changing over time? Are we going to have to get better at thinking strategically, vertically, or no? We are, but, but the tools aren't there. Right. I'm not sure that they're ever going to be there because uh, I'll give you, for instance, so the, the, the word that I love, which everybody teases me about because they, 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 call it, they say I'm a, I'm a words with friends snob. <laughs> um, uh, and the word I love is called propinquity. Oh, yes, that's what it was, propinquity. Uh, <laughs> propinquity is the value derived from proximity, right? So propinquity right. is just, it's water cooler and it's run, walk down the hallway and, right. and it's that sort of sense of I can just pop into your office. And none of the tools that I'm familiar with, not Zoom, not Slack, not, not normal Outlook, not other, other similar conferencing tools, really allow that very well. All right. So we were trying to do our, our next, after the first four-week plan, we did another four-week plan. And we were trying to do that in April via Zoom. Right. And it was, it was terrible. I mean, we, it was slow because what happens is people in a, in a conference room, you get a bit of a cacophony of discussion and dialogue and these right. two people talking about these things and these two people talking and you can sort of keep your, your ear on the din and as the, the senior leader or, or the facilitator, you can say, now I'm hearing this and let's pull this in and, 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 right. and, and guide it and mold it. But in a Zoom, everybody's polite. Right. Oh, no, no, you go, to, you talk. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. Right. And so you get these, these sort of series of monologues which are not necessarily bad, but they're not particularly creative. And so what we did was we were sitting in this Zoom meeting and I was actually in my office at the office with the door closed and I could hear another of the participants in the planning meeting in his office with his door closed. Right. And I said, how many of you are actually in the building today? And it was, a, I think the meeting was about 12 people and I think 10 of them were in the building. <laughs> and I said, okay, we're going to go to the multi-purpose room. We're going to try to socially distance. We're going to finish right. this meeting all together. And we knocked out the rest of it in about an hour. Right. right. Um, so when we did our last one, um, just uh, last, well, 10 days ago now, 
Um, we're now expanding from four weeks to eight weeks. We're trying to, to give a little bit of more runway. Right. But we actually rented a hotel conference room and put ourselves in the rooms as socially distanced as, as we could be in a hotel room so we could have the actual banter and dialogue without sort of breaking the social distancing norms. And it was great. It was a brilliant day. Right. We did one day with just that same team. And everybody walked away like, yes, this is great. We haven't figured out how to do that without the sort of being in the same place. So, Rush, possibly the hardest question, uh, certainly it would be for me, uh, that I'd like to ask you is, is one where I've got no dog in the hunt as to what the answer is, even what construct you use to answer it. But where do you think we are now? And I'm talking about, let me be specific, where do you think you, CEO of Zingular, are now in terms of this journey? And what do you, how far can you look ahead? Are you looking a week ahead, a month ahead, a quarter ahead, two quarters ahead, a year ahead? What's, what's your horizon? Uh, those are, you know, the million dollar questions, right? I mean, that's why I'm asking you. <laughs> <laughs> How far ahead can you look? Well, so the planning session that we did uh, just this last week, um, we looked out two months. Um, we're beginning to have discussions again about international expansion in the sense of what, what well, I'll, I'll, I'll use an analogy from my political background. When, when a candidate decides that he wants to run for president, mm -hmm. um, it's almost always too late. Um, you don't have to decide to run for president, but there are things you have to do two and three years ahead of time that if you don't well, do them, when right. you do decide to run for president, it's too late. And we saw that in, in this, the last campaign in, in 2016, and even in the primary this time, so many of the Democratic candidates came, this is our year, right? We're gonna run for president. Right. And they hadn't done the, the pre-work and so their campaigns fell apart on them too quickly. So using that same analogy, we don't have to decide to go international yet, but there's some things that if we don't do them now, right. the decision to go international will have to be postponed significantly longer into the future right so that's about as far out as we're looking in terms of, of beyond the two-month window uh as i said my crystal ball is full of mud um and and as as we're trying to forecast what's happening you know we anticipated a, a, a second surge in the virus cases which is what we're seeing now um and so we'd already worked with our supply chain to try to shore up not just the back orders, but be prepared for potential additional slowdowns in the future. And that's only prudent management. But uh, for me, there's so many wild cards. Um, uh, the, the, the virus has exposed um, uh, a deep unrest in our American society. We saw that with the protests. I do not believe the protests were solely because of the, the, the tragic uh, shooting in Minneapolis. I think that that was a catalyst for an undercurrent of unrest. Right. Because the week before the, the, the um, shooting in Minneapolis, there were open the country protests, different group of people. Uh, that, that upheaval in, in the structure and fabric of society it is really hard to deal with from a business perspective. Um, you know, right. 
Not and, just the, the actual disruption by the protests, but the, the undercurrent of, of unrest. And so all we can do as a business is make sure that we're taking care of um, uh, our, our internal people, our customers, our suppliers, uh, and doing the best we can by all of them right. and, and providing an environment where they're, they're feeling as stable as they possibly can feel. Right. And it's, uh, it's an incredible boost and, and all credit to you that you're able to do that with a, a rising um, situation for Zingular. As you know, so many organizations just haven't had that uh, experience. That's been a remarkable few months for you. What, are, what have you learned about yourself? Russ, as a person, as a leader in all of this. And I, I happen to know that just before all of this hit, you'd had a just a what for most people would be a, you know a life changing experience that, that was just nothing to do with any of this. And then you were just getting through that, and this hit. What is that? Yeah. You know what? What's that revealed to you about yourself? Well, you're referring to my daughter and my wife were in a terrific uh, car accident, terrific in the actual sense of the word, terrible, uh, terrific car accident in Australia in November of last year. And what followed from that was uh, um, my daughter was subjected to uh, cranial reconstruction surgery and, and vertebrae reconstruction surgery. And we were in the in and out of the hospital in, in in Australia for three months from November through February. Um, and I commuted, uh, I commuted back and forth. I did seven uh, intercontinental flights or trips from the US to Australia from November through February. Um, and there were a few things that that, that experience even pre before the, the, uh, the COVID crisis um, enabled me to, to bring into sharp focus just how good was my team really? Um, how were they going to be able to respond to not having me as a crutch or as a, you know, I was still available, but the time difference made it very difficult. Um, and, uh, and, and that was very telling. So that when I came back on the 14th of February, and and all of this began to unravel i had a very deep confidence level in my team because i had gone through that and what you asked me what i learned about myself and i'll get back to that but but that that confidence level in my team um enabled me to be very confident in let's pivot to what we what we've already discussed for the virus uh, as for me personally you know uh, I've always believed in the phrase, um, you can do hard things, uh, that, that everyone has more capacity than they think possible, that there's, there's a reserve of strength, of energy, of enthusiasm, of, of good humor, of, of you know, whatever makes you you, that uh, when the crisis comes, you can tap into that. Um, and I feel very blessed that uh, for, with my wife, my daughter, they're both doing fine. Um, we were able to pull that out in each other. Our, our, our family relationship is deeper, but I, I learned that I had more in me than I thought. That's the positive side. Right, right. Uh, you know, the negative side is um, 
I'm not as fast a decision maker as I would like to believe I used to be. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, I've, I've always joked that uh, um, if there's data, we should get it. Uh, and if there's no data, figure out why there's no data. Right. As opposed right. to just go with your gut. Right. And, and I'm, I'm learning that sometimes that doesn't work when you're in a, in a, a highly changing environment. Right. There just may not be data to go get, go get. And if you're waiting to get it, you may miss windows. And so I've had to be acting more on my gut than I have in many right. years. Right. And I've made some mistakes. And, and you know, that's always humbling. Sure. Hey, everybody makes mistakes, I know. But, but uh, you know, you, you like to think, man, if I had all the data, I could make every decision correctly. And it's sure. just not true. One, you can never get the data. And two, even if you got it, who's to say you'd make the decision correctly anyway? Correct. Um, and I, I, it's obvious that you're making more right decisions than not right ones. And uh, you're 100% right. It's, it's, it, and it's not, I think that situation that you're talking about where neither of your go-to alternatives exists, if you've got the data, use it. Well, we don't have data for this environment because it's never happened before. And the, under normal quotes, normal circumstances, you're quite right. The, you know, the, the best second fallback is, okay, if there isn't the data, Let's find out why and put in place a, a, a process so we can get it. Problem is we can't even do that yet either. I mean, it's right. just like, you know, some of our younger listeners won't know what on earth I'm talking about, but it's a, a bit like, you know, remember the old Etch-a-Sketch? It's like just somebody yeah. came and did that, you know? And now we've got this pretty blank thing. And I keep telling people, uh, it's interesting you used the phrase scenario planning uh, earlier. I keep telling people strategic plans are your enemy right now. You cannot build a strategic plan because strategic plans are built on data. Uh, you need to build scenarios. Scenarios are built on projections, on on concepts, on on uh, different alternatives. Now that we can do. Um, well, in, in the journey that you've been in the last number of months, Russ, uh, you've never done anything except bring out a completely positive, utterly supportive mia, um, uh, if you want to. Short word for words with friends, but we'll get you uh, very far. And I've appreciated that very much. I'm committed to, um, if, if uh, you'll be so kind, to have the folks that we're interviewing in this current situation. Uh, I'd love to cut, bring you back in a year and let's see what happened. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you. Just such for sharing, being so open and transparent. I really, really oh, appreciate it. Thank you, Les. It's an honor and I'd be happy to come back in a year. It's, it would be great. Thank you.